This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Talking Dirty, focusing on the October stars at East Ruston Old Vicarage. Over at aforementioned garden, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our very happy and ever more handsome horticulturalist. <laughs> oh dear, you flatter me, wench, you flatter me. <laughs> well, today we have what I think is the beginning of a breakdown of the, of the heat wave, because we've got kind of cloudy days. I don't know what you've got over there, but you look absolutely beaming, thought it's Maria Sophia Fredrickson. And... Well, blossoming and a new mum. How are you? Yeah, I've had no sleep for a long time. Um, And if you hear the dog crying, it's because daddy and baby are out for a walk so that we have hopefully blessed (laughs) peace, but probably not with the dog. We may have a few connection issues over the course of this podcast, but we're going to persevere because windows of opportunity to talk about plants are few and far between these days. So if, uh, if one of us freezes... For a moment or two, we actually. I just got a little notice on. My, I just got a little notice on my screen saying that I'm unstable. Are but we knew un- that anyway. You're unstable. <laughs> well, I'm amazed it's you rather than me, to be honest. So, okay. <laughs> we're we're going to carry well. on because we've spent a long time writing down many many plants that we want to talk about and taking photos. I haven't been to your garden for probably the longest time in my living memory. I know. And I I miss it so terribly. So to look through all of these photos and just get a tiny sense of how glorious it is looking at the moment. And I've had reports from all of our gardening friends of how absolutely at its peak it is right now. It must have been quite hard, actually, to pick out some kind of planty favourites when the whole supporting cast, all of the combinations, you know, you kind of get blown away with every few yards. Yes, it is, I suppose, really. But I took myself off yesterday afternoon and I did a little walk and I took a few snaps. I think I've talked about 45, 50 snaps of, of various plants in the garden because I think it's nice to get a close-up of the plant that we're talking about so that people can see it in its, um, well, rather than like an amorphous mass in the distance, you see the flower close up so you know what we're talking about. And I did that and I just kept going, oh, look at that, oh, look at that, and so on and so forth. So it was remarkable. And, you know, I suddenly thought I should probably do this at least once a week. I know from here on in probably the numbers are going to go down. <laughs> Excuse me. But I do think it's important to, uh, to do that in actual fact because it does – it you know, clicks your brain into gear and stops you worrying about whatever you were doing, which incidentally was taking cuttings. I've been taking hundreds and hundreds of cuttings. All of, Lots of the plants that we're going to see today I've been taking cuttings of. I, I'm, I go out with a with my bag to put the cuttings in and I have a little bit of moisture in the bottom of the bag to keep the atmosphere buoyant while we're gathering cuttings. Um, and I suddenly go past a plant and I think, oh, well, let's do a try of that. I haven't done it before. And it was Hardenbergia violacea. It is an Australian climber that blooms in late winter or early spring under glass in this country. I have grown it outside and it has come through the winter, but of course it didn't come through last winter. So I thought, well, I've only got one fairly big plant and I could risk putting it outside, but if I lose it, then I've lost it. So I thought, well, I'll do a tray of cuttings and just see. And I, if, I, if I get four or five cuttings that root from that 
12 that I did, then I can sort of chance my arm and try it in a few places outside. Is it easy to root from cuttings? I don't, I don't know. I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to find out. <laughs> but, yeah, you do. You do. In actual fact, and that's one of the great things of, of being experimental because, you know, you've got to experiment and try these things because it might not come from cuttings in a conventional way. It might need probably air layering or something like that. I don't know. I haven't done it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give it a go this year and see what happens. I'll keep my old plant under glass, so I've still got it. Um, and it will bloom for me just after Christmas next year. It has racemes of little purple pea-shaped flowers. I don't think we'll probably be able to find a photograph of it, although you never know. Well, you, you never do. There may be one lurking in our back catalogue. There are many, many plants we've talked about over the years, and that's one. I really struggle to remember the name of it because I've never grown it because I don't have the protection, but I yeah. covet it every single year, a proper Flomo plant at East Rustonville Vicarage. Well, I think it's I think it's a member of the pea family, so mm. it could be relatively easy from cuttings. But the the in, the nodes between each on each stem, the nodes are fairly far apart, um, which and it, it's thin and very wiry, which to me doesn't say cuttings root easily. But <laughs> you never know. You never know. With your with your plant list that we've put together, you know, the things we would ideally like to talk about, whether or not we'll have time to talk about all of these is another thing. But th there are so many plants that I see year in, year out in your garden. And I mean, some of it's just not attainable. Things like your dahlia border, that kind of long border, the long walk, which is yes. just absolutely packed out. This was the photo I think you sent me that really made me go, I'm desperate to come for a walk along that part of your garden and see because you <laughs> photos yeah. just can't quite do it justice. Oranges and pinks and salmons and then lovely chocolates, possibly Dahlia Sam Hopkins. I'm not sure it looked a bit like it. All these really boisterous, ebullient plants. I, mean, I can't even imagine how many make up that long border and it's looking possibly better than ever. I don't know. It's very strange, you know, because last winter, we, as we all know, was quite a cruel winter and we didn't take any of those dahlias up from 2022. Um, so they are 2022. They were planted and they've been come through the winter of 22, 23 and they were late into growth. And I thought, well, is it worth leaving them or not? And I did. And I'm jolly pleased that I did. But you mentioned that dahlia border. Now, that dahlia border, I think, is lovely. I love it. Mm -hmm. Incidentally, when I say things like this, please bear in mind that Graham and I garden to suit ourselves. It's nice that other people like it. Um, and when I say I think it's looking good, it, it means that really it pleases me. I don't mean to be showing off about it. It's <laughs> nice that people like what we like, but, you know, that's that's the reason behind it, not showy-offy. Um, but I don't like monoculture, so there is not just dahlias in that border. Hmm. First of all, there's the wonderful backing of all the lovely climbers on the back. Um, and taller plants in front of those get integrated into this border, like ricinus, hmm. castor oil plant with big bronze leaves. The odd red leaf banana, which grows enormous with these huge paddle-shaped leaves. And at this time of the year, as the sun gets lower, the sun shines through the leaves, giving that lovely translucent effect. And I mean, it is stunning. Um, the other plant that I must talk about there is uh, the huge eucomis, and it's eucomis um, pallida in brackets, polovansii. And I do a little tale about polovansii because there was a lady that came to my garden and she said, I bet you haven't got this in your garden. I said, what's that? She showed me a picture and she said, it's called, you call me Paul Evans too. <laughs>
I had I'm, I'm not her, laughing but... in a way like really at her because I have pronounced plants in all kinds of weird and wonderful ways. We all have my life, but that is a good one. <laughs> yeah, it is a good one. Anyway, um, I was thinking about um, Polavansii or um, <clears throat> Eucomus pallida, call it what you will. If you go to buy a bulb of those, they're probably about £20 per bulb today, which is a lot of money. I saw you wince. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I felt you wince 60 miles away and I <laughs> feel you wince for me. <laughs> Um, and so we, we're going to try this next year to root it. But, and I've researched into how you root it. And you, in, in June, you take a leaf and you cut the leaf into chevron-shaped segments and you let them dry a little. And then you put them in some perlite and keep them warm and keep them moist. And hopefully they make little seed pearls along the bottom of the, the leaf cuts. And there's your, your tiny little bulbils. And it probably takes you five or six years maybe to grow them on to get flowers. But it's better than paying £20 a bulb, I think. And it's wow. interesting because you can, you know, you can just do it and forget it. If you plant them out somewhere, they're quite strong growing plants. And I, one thing I would say, and I got this from um, Avon Bulbs, the, the lovely late Alan Street told me that it's one of those bulbs you really want to plant deep, not because just because it comes from South Africa, which could mean that it's on the verge of, um, you know, a little bit tender. But because it's such a strong growing, tall, heavy flower spike, if you plant it deep, it anchors it into the soil better and there's less chance of it blowing over. And I have to say, it works. Yes. Mm. What a great tip. They are wonderful plants. Every year I covet your eucomus. I don't have any um, perhaps remiss of me, but uh, but that one I didn't know the name of it so another plant i don't think we've ever talked about on talking dirty i get the feeling there could be a few of those over, yeah there are <laughs> over the course of of this and actually well, i mean they, they range in size from um uh well from very small to very but i was just thinking actually fact there's a chap at panache plant called richard and he has the national collection maybe oh. we should talk to him yes we mm. should now there's a thought. <laughs> He's very nice and very handsome. He is both. His eye candy, honey. Get him on. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned um, uh, yeah, you mentioned the the ricinus. Again, another plant. Which I mean, uh, did you start those from from seed? Have they been overwintered? My criteria for growing them is is saving my own seed and buying in seed because you can never be quite sure whether ricinus seed is viable or not. It might produce a seed, but is that seed viable? Has it got an embryo in it? Will it grow for you? Who knows? I don't know. Um, but the, the amazing thing is that, again, it's, it's a plant that completely surprises you because in the border opposite my potting shed, I looked down earlier this year, probably in about May, I suppose, and there were ricinus self-sown seedlings germinating. And I thought, all the trouble I go to, the damn thing self-sown <laughs> puts itself there you know um but yeah and no we do we do actually and if you want to keep um uh, keep the varieties separate because if you grow more than one there's every chance that they'll cross pollinate and then you know you you might get something absolutely wonderful you might not there's a lovely one that came from steve edney that we grew called new buddha um and that was a, had a lovely glaucous cast to the leaf but one of my favorites is an old trusted one. It's called Carmen Cheetah. Um, and it, it's it's a flamboyant thing and it serves its purpose. It's wonderful. I love it. 
It's a great name uh, and a wonderful yeah. plant. It's amazing. It's one of those things you cannot <laughs> believe the growth in one season. Exactly. There's two things, two plants that do that. They're very easy, both from seed and both relatively inexpensive. You know how I hate the word cheap. Um, there's ricinus. So you buy a packet of seed and you can grow ricinus on your kitchen windowsill or somewhere like that. But do keep give them as much light as possible. And the other one is you don't need to sow them inside. It's Persicaria orientalis, mm. which has the lovely, lovely common name of Kiss Me Over the Garden Gate. I've grown those in pots this year. I mean, when I say pots, it's a big pot. It's two feet across and two feet deep. And I put four or five plants in that pot, and they're now about nine feet tall. I have a peninsula in the garden here, which we fill full of pots, um, where people sit and have lunch and afternoon tea and all the rest of it. Um, and that is the centrepiece of, of this peninsula. And I was going to scrap it the other day because it's the bottom leaves have all gone dead and they looked awful and everything is and so i just thought well before i take it away let's remove them it was like giving it a facelift i mean the removal of detritus dirty leaves you know dead leaves and things like that it really does freshen a plant up and so it's still there and it's still nine feet tall yeah. and all you have to do with that once you've grown it is you just run your hand along the tassel of seeds of flowers i mean and in the in amongst the flowers there'll be seeds and you take them out dry them and in the middle of all that detritus once you've dried it, there's little black seeds and they're what you want to sow. And you sow them, put them outside in <clears throat> April or May, something like that. But I start mine in April. I sow them in, in a seed tray. I put a layer of gravel on the top and I wait and up they pop. Wonderful. I, I You sent a few photos of that persicaria, but the, the island peninsula you plant them on where everybody, if you've been to East Ruston, where you all sit in that lovely, sunny, it's funny to think how it's changed, actually, that sort of sunny sheltered bit where you built an extra wall to help make it really snug and enclosed and yeah. more planting kind of opportunities. Yeah. You often showcase your seed-grown dahlias in there, and I don't know if you're doing that this year, but you often have a few wonderful East Ruston specials. I am. Yes, well, there's... I... <laughs> A lady came past the other day and she said, well, none of these dailies have got labels on them. <laughs> and she came up to me and she just said it in that kind of way. None of the dailies, dailies have got labels on them. And I said, well, madam, that's because they haven't yet, they have yet to be named. <laughs> well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I've grown them from seed crosses that I've made in the garden here. And so until I give them a name, they don't have one. Oh, well, you should name them and you should sell them because they're absolutely wonderful. <laughs> and I thought, well, give, give us time. You know, <laughs> It is amazing what, what you get from when you sow um, yourself sown seedling seeds from your dahlias, because you, as well as getting a, an array of colours, an array of foliage shapes and sizes and colours, and I I love the dark leaf forms because they're different, um, and as well as that, it's the difference in height that you get. So you really need to grow them on for a couple of years so that you know their true characteristics. I mean, lots of them are very tall, eight feet tall easily. Not everybody can accommodate that. But it's. I would just say one thing. If you've got a small garden, remember the adage, if you're doing interior decorating, you've got a small room. One tall piece of furniture in a small room makes the room look bigger. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for your garden with a plant. And if you've got a tall dahlia, it will be quite airy at the top. So it won't be too dominating. But once you plant one tall thing, bet you'll plant more than one. There'll be more. <laughs> <laughs> As my partner always says, it's I have a taste for stately home plants. That's what he calls them. 
Well, he's quite right. You do. <laughs> Can't help it. Uh, talking of dark-leaved dahlias, <laughs> I grew one this year called Hadrian's... Well, actually, Hadrian's Sunset. Yeah, Hadrian's Sunset. Really dark, quite um, uh, filigree-ish foliage for a dahlia. Really nice. And f- flowers that are impossible to capture, which are kind of orangey, going more ready in the centre, bit of a peachy thing going on. I mean, they're just... And they're single, so wonderful for the pollinators. But that foliage, dark, really. I've got a name. I've got a. You you should name that something else, like tropical sunset. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Red, oranges, and pinks. Yeah. Oh, and I'm thinking if I save the seed from that, I'll be really interested to see what comes out of it. I mean, it may just go kind of red, but dark leaves. I mean. The foliage is is stunning, so um, I might just try like a row at the allotment of seed from that one, and it's next to Hadrian's. I was say, now that you've got an allotment, you can do that. Exactly. I mean that that really you can is... do that on your allotment, <laughs> and and the seedlings there will be, I should think, probably ninety five percent that will be also arans, but it's yeah. that odd five percent that you grow that will be special. Hadrian's Midnight has a really sensational dark flower. These are Hadrian's Midnight is one. I learned of from uh, from Dan Cooper, who we featured last week on the podcast. Um, yeah. But uh, but Hadrian Sunset, I was just lured in by pictures and uh, the description on the website. And I'm so glad I grew it because its foliage is just, it's worth growing it for that alone. So we'll see. Of the also rans, we'll see if one or two of them can, uh, can be little stunners. Well, absolutely. You know, I was talking about earlier in this podcast, taking cuttings. Mm. Well, one of the things I've been... It just lured me in to have a go with um, there's various plants, perennial plants that behave in a peculiar way as they get towards the end of their their summer and autumn life. And they produce little shoots, little adventitious shoots almost behind the where the flowers have been. And one of them was Lysimatia clethroides, which is the swan neck loosestrife, which has those curving um, white spires of flowers, like white candles with a kink in them. And (laughs) the other thing I noticed yesterday, and I'm going back to take the cuttings off it today, is the very tall growing Lobelia tupa. Lobelia tupa sometimes sets seed and sometimes it doesn't. And I've got a red form that doesn't set seed. And it's 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 an annoying thing to propagate because it has a rhizomatous rootstock under the ground. And it's difficult. Um, we do it, but it's, it is difficult. But I noticed that just below the flowers, there's a series of young shoots coming out. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll try taking those and see what happens, because that'd be rather good if they if they root. And if I can keep them through the winter, it'd be lovely. Oh, yeah. Fingers crossed. I mean, talking of red flowered, rather sensational things, every time I see what what I think of as Aschneria, but I think might have been renamed Epilobium, but Aschneria or Epilobium carnum, such a fabulous, just wherever you go, I was walking through the Botanic Garden here in Cambridge um, with a good friend of mine, and we were both just stopped in our tracks by it. One of those plants that you kind of can't walk past without just going, oh, that's lovely. It's true, actually. There are several forms of it. There's a glaucous leaf form, and there's also a very dwarf form. I know the glaucous leaf form you used to be able to get from Bear Chateau, and the dwarf form, I think, um, is grown by Potterton's nursery, um, <coughs> who, who do a lovely range of alpines. Um, and it's well worth getting if you have a small garden, or you've got a sink, or you've got a rockery. 
Um, and, you know, today, probably, if we think of it, rockeries have become, it's a dirty word, isn't it? It's, it's like crazy paving. Crazy paving is now alternative paving. Oh, yeah. haven't we gone posh? <laughs> and, and, a, and a rockery, a spree garden. I mean, it is, it is funny, but wherever you can grow small plants, or if you've got a sink or a trough or a large raised bed or something, that little dwarf Zauschneria is lovely because it flowers late. And, you know, some of them run terribly. They, uh, we've got them in the desert and they run underneath the gravel and they pop up between the stones, which is lovely until you get to the stage where you think, well, there's too much of that. And I've got to rip some of it out. But you never rip all of it out, so it, can, it will come back. But it's a nice, shall dare I say, a nice weed to have. Yeah. But it, it is, it's an unusual thing, I think, that it, it, it flowers so late and it colours very well. It looks very, very good in the desert because near to the, near to it in the desert, but very close to it, there's um, a nephophia. And it's one of the late, latest nephophias to flower. Well, in general terms, I mean, there are later ones, but they, they flower right into the winter. But when they... When the days shorten, the colour changes. So as instead of being orange, they become green. Um, and to be quite honest, in the in the middle of winter, they're interesting rather than beautiful. But the, the nephophia that I'm referring to is called ruperi. Mm. And ruperi, that's a very interesting nephophia. I'm going to save some seed from it this year. I know that it comes from seed because I've got three plants, all of which are slightly different. And they came from three separate sources. Um, and... I mean, what is not to like about a plant that you can you can plant it, you can leave it, you don't have to do anything to it. And five years later, it's sitting there and it's got 45 spikes of flower on it. Now, isn't that just absolutely wonderful? Uh, I just it blows you away. It really does, because you haven't uh, you hadn't asked the plant to do this. If you planted Nephophia ruperi and you've got five or ten flowers, you'd be thinking, wow, look at that. This is fantastic. <laughs> but just let it breathe. Let it it out. Let it get a little bit more corpulent. And then suddenly, wow, there's a huge explosion of flowers comes out. Absolutely stunning. The um, the Zashn area that you said was near that Nifofia, one of the pictures you sent me, it was also near a very chocolatey leaved, a very dark leaved plant that I wasn't entirely sure what it was. I think it's a chocolate flower, a chocolate leaved carochia. I'm yeah. pretty sure it is. It's in the Mediterranean garden and it's got um it's got Amaryllis belladonna alba behind it. Um to the right there's some Lobelia tupa. And you're absolutely right. There is um, Epilobium or Zauschneria in front. No, it's not. It's a Pitosporum. Oh, is it? It's a little Pitosporum called Tom Thumb. Oh, it's Tom Thumb. Aha. Yes, because can you see on the can you see on the tips of the shoots to the right and and on the top, there's little bits of green, and the new yeah. foliage always sprouts green, and then in the sun it goes bronze. Oh, so Pitosporum Tom Thumb. I mean, what a plant for contrast. I mean, going back to my Hadrian sunset and its dark foliage, I mean, that particularly to show up the Zauschneria flowers, I thought was marvellous. Yeah. And obviously next to the... Um... It's, it's lots of plant, there are lots of plants that you can use that you don't have to have as a flowering plant. You know, the right kind of, the right shape, the right colour, the right foliage is vital because yeah. otherwise we'd just be... You'd see all these plain flowers on sticks, wouldn't we? No, no foliage at all. And foliage is so important. And it's next to that amaryllis, <laughs> so you get the kind of black and white 
effect. Um, and you sent me so many pictures of nareens and amarines, all floral fireworks in your garden at the moment. But they are doing so well this year because they had a baking in 2022, you see, because all of those bulbs, um, uh, they like to be with their décolletage, you know, their sort of neck and shoulders um, above ground level. So they get a basking. Um, and that's very important to the success of their flowering. But having said that, I was thinking yesterday when I was taking some photographs of these nerines, and there's one particular nerine there, I don't know the name of it, it's quite a pale pale pink one, but it is flowering um, in, there it is, just above the Desfontania, um, <clears throat> it's flowering in shade. And it reminds me of uh, when I used to drive through Norwich years ago, there was a garden in Unthank Road in Norwich, um, very shady garden, and every autumn they had this wonderful display of nerines growing in the shade and I couldn't work it out and I used to think well, they don't grow in the shade you know they they hoist themselves up you plant them deep they hoist themselves up until the bulbs sit on the surface to get the baking and all the rest of it but not just that and I was reading something in um, a gardening periodical the other day and the and the, the, art, the writer said try nerines in shade you'll be surprising how well they do not very deep shade but a little bit of shade mm. so if you've got you know woodland conditions to try it and see what happens once you get enough bulbs move a few over haven't we heard something similar about tulipa sprengeri i'm sure derry watkins yeah. said that you know you see it so often right out in in full sun looking fabulous places like the gravel garden at beth chateau's but the hers dairies were self-seeding into a little bit of light shade and looking fabulous yeah, you see, this is the thing with plants. They always catch you unawares. Um, and somebody writes a book, and an eminent gardener or a, or a horticulturalist, call them what you will, um, they write a book and they say, you can't grow this in this position. I mean, for instance, um, I remember in the RHS dictionary, they actually said, they're talking about camassias, and they said, you can't grow camassias in dry soil. And I thought, watch me. <laughs> and uh, in those far-off days when I had camassias, I bought about 50 bulbs, I suppose, and our soil is a light, free-draining, sandy loam. The water table is 19 feet down there, so it's it's a very dry soil, and people said to me, they won't do, they won't do. I've got thousands of them, well, hundreds anyway, you know, of them now in, in our wildflower meadow, so they have, they've adapted, they like us. So plants are nothing if not adaptable, and they, they may do better in a wet soil, but I'm quite happy with what I've got. And you also get the the opposite occasionally is true. Um, I'm sure I've heard you say that people always plant vincas, always plant periwinkles in a deep, dark, shady corner because they will cope well and perform well. But actually, if you give them some light, they can astound you by performing even better. It's just because they will cope. We always shove them into this difficult situation. That is so true. That really is so true. Um, I mean, I've got vincas, periwinkles growing all over the place in shade, and they 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 oblige me wonderfully well in very early spring when they put put forth their flowers and everything else in the shade. But if you grow them in sun, they are so much much more floriferous and so much better. And the other plant that we always grow in shade is the climbing hydrangea, Petiolaris. And that, in, 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 and the other thing as well, is jasmine nudiflorum, the winter flowering jasmine. Both of those two plants, they grow, they flower much more profusely and prodigiously if you grow them with sunshine on them. It, take it a step further. You get to the, the, the question of um, roses. Which rose will grow in shade? Well, there are some that do better in shade than others, but basically they all do better in sunshine. 
Um, and, you know, this, the same thing happens for clematis. Which clematis can I grow in the shade? Well, you can grow it, but don't expect to be fulfilled by it because it will probably disappoint you because it, although it will grow and it will produce the odd flower or two, it won't be, you know, ebullient with it. Yeah. I saw in your garden years ago and finally got hold of a couple of years ago, Vinca Major Oxyloba, which has much sort of, I think it's the yeah. one that has much finer dark purple petals, very sort of starry, slightly less sort of chunky and lumpy than the, the average Vinca um, you might think of. And uh, it's very vigorous, but it's also very beautiful. So I just wanted to give a mention. Are you trying to, to say... Are you trying to say that it has finesse? It does. <laughs> I think periwinkles, probably because they are a little bit municipal, you kind of see them in the shady corners of garden centre planting uh, or car parks or whatever. You don't necessarily think vinca, woo, but there are some lovely vinkas and uh, and certainly that that one I'd wanted for years and I didn't even know what it was. Two little bits, two little bits of things. Two little bits of things that you can do to manipulate vincas is, I mean, plant them beneath the hedge bottom. If you've got a, a hedge bottom and, you know, if, if say you've got a hedge at the end of your garden and the hedge bottom faces south, but not into your garden out, plant them in the bottom there and they will just spill forth and they will flower much better. The other thing they'll do is they'll climb up into the hedge. And so you'll get flowers that's sort of two, three, four feet tall. Um, and they surprise you. It's lovely. It's lovely. It's just thinking about how they grow because they produce these long wands of shoots that, and then the shoot touches the ground and it roots and so on. So it's like a chain reaction. It's going doing, 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 doing. And if you plant Take it up, advantage. if you have like a raised bed, it will cascade over like a curtain mm. as well. So yeah. that's that's very lovely. Yeah. Going back to, um, I didn't even notice them to begin with, but you sent me a photo possibly of, of salvia royal bumble, a, a red flower anyway. And behind it was what I thought was a kind of steeper until you pointed out that they were clematis seed heads. This big mountain of those lovely fuzzy yeah. cousin it type little seed heads um, bubbling away in the background. Absolutely sensational. Well, we think it's a um, we think it's a form of uh, Clematis um, orientalis, but we're not sure. But it was on a nurseryman's um, a, a kind of vague nurseryman seed list, a plant list, I mean, and it was one that he'd grown from seed that he collected um, on an expedition somewhere in, in probably China or somewhere like that. Um, and it didn't really have a name. And so I thought, well, I've got to try this and see what it does. Um, and it's now got to be a considerable size. And I think it needs to be a considerable size. And it's the kind of plant that when it's in flower, people stop and look at it and they just they're perplexed because it doesn't have the yellow or orange lanterns like orange peel lanterns that the uh, orientalis you would expect to have. It has kind of much smaller little yellow flowers and there's yellow and lemon and lime green in them. And so it's kind of a subtle thing, um, but they're on such a huge mass such a scale that, that that it causes consternation. You can see people sort of scratching their heads and all the rest of it, looking at this in in deep puzzlement. And I think, it, but it, this is the best year it's ever been. And I think possibly maybe it liked like the sun that we had last year, which a lot of plants um, are repaying us for that. Um, and you know, it's 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 just a novelty. I think it's one that um, one that needs. Um, I'd better get my cutting gear out, I think, and try a few cuttings of that because I don't know where you get it again. No. Well, exactly. You need more of it just in case because it's fantastic, a real stunner. Um, and it's planted alongside a salvia, as I said. And with our 
balmy ends to our autumn. So it's been crazy, crazily hot in October. Obviously, the salvias have been doing so well at East Ruston, well, everywhere, but I always associate late season salvias with East Ruston Old Vicarage. And, and you've got a number of a really fabulous ones, which seem to be having a wonderful summer and, and autumn. <laughs> yes, we're officially now into autumn, so we can say that. Um, but yes, they do. As long as the weather remains open, they love to have this long growing season. And, you know, so much for gardens finishing at the end of August kind of thing. Forget it. I mean, there's an absolute load of ridiculous nonsense. Um, but people are always telling me that you have so much colour in the garden here. And it's, it's not that we necessarily plan for that colour although to an extent I suppose we probably do subconsciously, but it's the fact that you want the garden to keep going. You don't want it to stop. So you're continue. and me, I'm a compulsive propagator, so I've always got plants to, to put out. And I mean, Ian, when he's here and he's here today, when he's here, he often says to me, have you got any plants you want using up somewhere? And I said, yes. He said, well, tell me where they are. And he, when he goes off and does some weeding somewhere, he'll plant these in. And of course, they're the kind of, these be salvias, shall we say, and they're the kind of salvias that I've grown from cuttings probably taken in April, and they'll be making lovely bushy plants, and the, bang, they come straight into flower. Um, and so it is uh, remarkable. And, I mean, salvias today, the, 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 the number of salvias today that are hardy that didn't used to be, I think, is phenomenal. Now, that doesn't go for everybody because lots of people suffered um, with minus 10, minus 12 last year. Um, during the winter and we didn't we had minus four for one night only um, and there, there I mean it was lower than minus four on other nights but I mean you know the, the amount of plants that came through was uh, absolutely amazing and <laughs> you know plants always surprise you I've just thought of something I haven't we haven't discussed this I have a climbing um uh, uh Alstromeria called um it's called uh, Bomaria acutifolia mm. and it's FM 40 collection number on it. it came from pan global plants i sowed seed of it last year and my seedlings actually came up and they developed and they're now flowering i didn't know this because until i discovered the other day grubbling about behind some sheds you know one of those sort of murky areas you don't go to very often and you look at it and you think oh that's where those boxes went to there's there's the canes i was looking for <laughs> and there on the ground was a sun sun bamaria with a flower on it now, Bamarias come from South America. They're not altogether reliably hardy, but this plant has got to be a self-sown or probably a bird-sown seedling, I would think, because it's beneath some holly trees. And it's been there through that cold winter and it germinated and it had a flower on the end of its trailing stem. They climb, they climb. So um, they're, they're the kind of things you can grow through shrubs and things like that. But a very neglected race of plants, I think. And I think in future years, we'll probably be growing more of them. Certainly, you always used to have a Bamaria, Bamaria, um, sort of where you would duck off to go into your patio kitchen, sort of patio area, and yeah. people would yeah. just stop on the path. Oh, and, what is this glorious plant? And you're right, just not yeah. really known, but the kind of plant you cannot walk past without stopping. Uh, almost every visitor to East Ruston Old Vicarage no, exactly. have a photo exactly. of that particular plant. They probably don't even know what it is because if they, if you're not around to identify it, they may walk away and never, ever know unless they're listening to well, There is a label on it, so that, I mean, oh, they can look it up. To, no. Oh, aren't you good? Yeah. And no one's walked it's, off with the label? It, well, no, I'm... I, I, <laughs> Some people do. I mean, I'm, I have to say that it's easier to put the label in your pocket than to make a note, isn't it? Yeah. Thank <laughs> goodness for smartphones, hey? I mean, my uh, 
my phone is just full of, of plant names, you know, labels, and then the p- plant itself. And you probably know this if you're listening yeah. or watching, but if you've got something like Google Photos, if you write a name in and you've taken a photo of the label, it will take you to that label. So you can kind of look at that plant again if you want to find it. I do a lot of that for this podcast, as you can imagine. Um, you mentioned climbing Alstroemeria. Of course, your garden's full of normal Alstroemerias. Um, I'm sure they're looking as fabulous as ever. Yes, they are. I mean, we of course, we. I mean, people know this probably by now, but I'm going to say it again. You don't cut Alstroemerias. You pull them like you pull a piece of rhubarb because that, you know, by pulling the, the flowering shoot away from the rhizome beneath the ground, that spurs the rhizome to grow a little bit further and make another flowering stem because it thinks, hello, something's gone wrong. I've got to make another flowering stem to make more seed to, to produce another generation because that's the thinking behind it. It's also extremely satisfying. Mm. Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know why. There's just something so pleasing about it. It's like um, pulling feathers out of a feather pillow or something. Like when you feel the little spiky bit. And I just love to pull a feather out of a feather pillow. I don't know if I'm strange. But... You, I thought you were going to say it's like plucking a chicken. <laughs> Plucked a chicken, yeah. Still on the, the list. <laughs> of things to do moving on um i've lived long enough and i've got many a chicken i'll tell you <laughs> now climbing plants there i mean i've hardly ticked off anything on our list of things we want to talk about there are so many so many things um there'll be other days <laughs> I've, I've got passion flowers thumbergias Ipomoea labata, hops, all of these climbers, which I know are just looking so abundant in your garden at the moment. Well, they are, you see. And I mean, I think I think one of the things that uh, as we've gardened um, over the years, we've become much, much less dependent. In fact, I don't think we're dependent on pesticides at all anymore. Um, so we endeavour to be as organic as you possibly can. But I don't necessarily like that word, but um, I like to think that we garden with nature instead of rather gardening against nature. And I think the great thing is, I mean, it's, it's easier probably for me because I've got the space, but I think if you can build up enough um, habitat and I mean, the amount of ladybirds that was around the garden yesterday, I mean, it's just crazy. Um, and, you know, they're, they're the goodies and all the rest of it. But you've got to have the baddies to have the goodies. And you've got to have the goodies to have the baddies, if you see what I mean. <laughs> so all it, it's all a matter of balance. Yes, it's all a matter of balance. But I, it occurred to me the other day that the balance is never the same two years running. And I suddenly thought, isn't that lovely? It's wonderfully satisfactory because, you know, sometimes you're going to get wonderful roses and sometimes you're going to get wonderful astromaries or whatever. Um and, you know, it's just the balance between the thing. It changes from year to year, but it's lovely to think that you do actually garden with nature rather than garden against nature. Oh, absolutely. And in a garden like yours, I'm sure it's absolutely necessary because you, you've got 32 acres. You couldn't, even if you wanted to, you couldn't be kind of bashing everything over the head with a chemical. No, you couldn't. I mean, somebody said to me the other day, what's the matter with your your um, betula utilis uh, Jack Montia? And I said, it's got rust. And they said, oh, isn't it a pity you won't get any of the lovely golden leaves? And I said, well, it's just something you have to put up with because I, I can't get up there and spray it with fungicide, can I? You know, don't be stupid. It's one of those things. You live with it. If I don't get it, I can go and look at it in somebody else's garden. But yeah, hey-ho. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever get time to step outside of yours. Oh, that's um, true. 
One thing we we must uh, mention before we we run out of time, um, there was a fabulous plant. I do love it on this podcast when we touch base on plants that I don't think we've talked about before. And I don't think we've ever mentioned this particular acanthus. Forgive me if we have, but um, prickly, prickly old thing, but really stunning. Oh, senii. Mm. Acanthus senii, yes. I mean, it, it, well, this is a strange thing because there are two particularly keen plant people that come to the garden, and on both occasions this year, they've they said, um, "Did you lose your acanthus senii?" It's a talking point that we have between us, you know. And I said, "No." I said, "It's it's shooting." I well, I bet it won't flower. Well, you've got you see the 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 proof of it today. It is flowering. It it, it always flowers very late. It comes from Ethiopia. It has a very very prickly leaf. And I think if you think about the landscape in, in Ethiopia, it's fairly barren and you get lots of goats and things nibbling things. So those very thorny leaves, very prickly leaves, they've um, evolved so that the goats don't eat them. And, and it gives the chance, the plant a chance to grow. It's a shrubby plant. It's a perennial. Uh, sometimes it dies right back to ground level, which it did last year. And in a mild winter, it won't. Um, and I thought uh, a year before last, I thought um, I've only got one plant of this. I ought to trace, take some cuttings. So I did take some cuttings. I got my hands were mutilated doing it because it's such a thorny thing. But a pair of gloves, a long pair of snips, you know, to get the bottom leaves off and cut the others in half and all the rest of it. And I prepared a little tray of cuttings and they did take. So I've now got more of it. And it's a, it's just a nice thing to try in odd places. Yeah. Especially it, if you've got dry, dry yeah. air. I mean, it does look quite vicious. So perhaps, you know, not in my front garden right next to the pavement where passers-by might accidentally no. stare themselves on it. <laughs> but uh, but it is, it's it's <laughs> really fantastic. And another plant that I I completely um, misnamed when I saw the photo of it, and I don't think we've ever mentioned on the podcast, is Rostranuncular. No, no, I don't think we have, in actual fact. Well, it's a relatively... Unknown plant. I don't think it's rare. It's it's just not used very much. But it is. It has these lovely sort of hanging tassels, like hanging hairy caterpillars, really, in sort of mauve and pink, with a little bit of cream on the on, on the sta- ends of the stamens and things. It's just a very attractive plant. I went to. Um, I was very lucky to go to um, the garden of John Simmons. Um, John Simmons used to work at Kew, and he's he was he's a very um, very knowledgeable tree person, and and a very generous man, I have to say. And he took us to see. Um, his um, rostranuncular and said, I bet you haven't got one of these. And I said, well, I have actually, <laughs> but I daren't tell him, but I dare not tell him that mine is three times as large as his. <laughs> I didn't do him, but it was. <laughs> and I've now got it in a couple of places. And sometimes um, it's a strange plant because sometimes if it gets too dry, it will drop all its leaves and, and you know, it doesn't like you. But with a bit of good cultivation, it's lovely. I've got it growing in the front courtyard here behind a fuchsia called uh, Delta Sera, which is cream and purple skirt. And um, it just looks lovely with that. And uh, Delta Sera, you see, is a fuchsia, hardy fuchsia. I think it's one of the less hardy, hardy fuchsias. But last year I just tipped it. I took the, the top growth off it as we approached cold weather and left the stems and it shot all the way up and I left them. And the great thing about fuchsias is and lots of other plants as well suffer from the unwanted detentions of the capsid bug. 
Datura's Brugmantias, they have it. And they get the capsid bug gets into the tips of the shoots and it nibbles away at the at the at the emergent leaves and it eats the flower buds. So of course you don't get any flower. But capsid bugs, they finish their life cycle about the end of August. Thereafter, the plant makes new shoots and it flowers its head off. And this is what's happening to Delta Sera. We had no flowers early on Fuchsia Delta Sera, but later on, I mean, it's just a wash with flowers and it looks absolutely splendid. So, you know, well, let's keep the winter away for a little bit longer, shall we? Oh, I mean, I know yeah. we're supposed to get into colder weather this week. Don't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really... I'm hanging on to, because my, my allotment started late, you know, I didn't sow a lot of things until quite late, though it's been amazing to see what has done well. You know, late sowings of things like Orlia grandiflora have turned into wonderful plants. Zinnias, obviously, you know, I always yeah. try and sow them too early anyway, so they've done really well. And I'm just, I cannot get enough, gone over a little bit now, but this little green vase packed with green, Benary's giant lime, so green zinnias, White yeah. blue cornflowers and then a pink dahlia, ball dahlia I grew called Pulventon Christabel, which has its sort of pink with gold tips to the petals. So you just get that real, almost childlike kind of candy look of the pinks, the blues, the greens. And it, it's it's not sophisticated in any way, but it makes me so happy. And I just want my allotment to carry on producing these flowers so I can keep making little posies. It's not sophisticated, but it's nature. Yeah, and, and na nature is so lovely. I mean, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta look. And I mean, even if you wild areas, we've got several wild areas, much to the chagrin of some of our visitors, I have to say. But I've already said the reason is because we are wildlife friendly, insect friendly, and to some extent pest friendly because you have to be both. Um, and you know, there's some of those wild areas where you get some ladies' bed straw coming up next to. A, ladies bread store with lovely yellow flowers and you get it next to um um i can't think of the name of them now but the pink the pink trumpet sort of flowers they're they're wildflowers malva um oh, malva, those yeah. wide open flared mm. yes. and i mean you know pink and yellow it shouldn't go together shut up nature <laughs> combines pink and yellow so so well it's uh i always think this i've mentioned it before <laughs> hills and holes in barnack one of the um the wild flower hotspots I love to go to. Uh, every year I mean to go at Pulsatilla time to see the past flowers. Never, ever seen them. Always time at, you know, too early or too late. But the orchids there are wonderful and they have lots of ladies' bed straw and you always see it in combination with either orchids or other pink wildflowers. And it just works so, so well. Exactly. I mean, nature roar and tooth and claw is really quite wonderful, you know. Oh, it really is. Uh, other things that are wonderful. I can't believe this is a year where I've not seen your Brugmansias uh, at their sort of peak. Oh, well, I'm, yeah. I'm imagining they're looking quite they're just, resplendent as ever. Well, they are. Um, and I have to say that they're just coming up to what will probably be their last big flush of flowers. But much depends on the weather, because if the weather remains open and fairly kind, they will do another one. But I mean, I always think, to, you know, get to the middle of October-ish, we're nearly into the middle of October. Um, and uh, I think, you know, don't expect too much of them. Um, but I will hope for a, a further flush and we'll see, we'll see what happens. But I mean, they're resplendent at the moment. They've got <clears throat> literally hundreds of flowers on each 
of those huge, huge bushes. Um, and they just grow from strength to strength. Um, let's hope it doesn't end too soon. <laughs> and tell me, what are they underplanted with this year? Because the container planting at East Ruston is something I normally pour over all of your wonderful combinations. So what's sitting there at the feet of the Brugmanseas and helping them to shine? Well, at the feet of the Brugmanseas, I've had um, Adjuratum, Peteolatum for years and years and years. And I have to say, it's you can, you can grow it from seed, and it's the one plant I grow it from cuttings. It's the one plant I would never be without because it it, it sits underneath the Brugmanses together with Argoranthemum, Jamaica Primrose. Um, and what else have I got in there? I've got some silver Centauria, Centauria um, wonderful cascading silver plants. Um, all of my plantings in underneath the Brugmanses, they started off with blue and yellow petunias. Well, forget them because they're, they're, yeah, everything else has grown over them. They were lovely for the first couple of months, you know, June and July. You get to the end of July, everything starts to change and the, the other plants grow up and grow big. So it's basically blue and lemon yellow that I, I put underneath them this year. Um, and also in front of the um, library, I, I actually have two Brugmanses on the top of the steps there. And for the first time, I have used um, marigold as jester. Um, it's a tagetes. Um, and it's a jester. It's a single flower, and the petals are striped mahogany brown and yellow. Um, and I've used them there, and they've, I mean, they've just grown so tall. Elsewhere, we've grown Tagetes dixter, and Tagetes dixter is five feet tall. It doesn't ever tell you it grows that big, but I mean, it does. Um, and it's fantastic. And the interesting thing is we have some volunteers in the garden and they do, and they come in and they do things like deadheading and stuff like that. Now, I always save my own seed from Tagetes. There wasn't a single seed pod on Tagetes Dixter, uh, Tagetes Jester, anywhere in the garden, thanks to the diligence of the volunteers who've been snipping away. So I've now got to put a couple of pots in a secret place so that I can let the seed ripen <laughs> so that I actually get some. <laughs> you know, talking of satisfying, oh, uh, satisfying things and, and seed pods, I've been having a lot of fun. My um, my sort of beans I left to to dry for for keeping weren't quite as plentiful as I'd have liked. Particularly Yin Yang, that wonderful black and white bean that Wreck and Mystery put us onto. Yeah. That got I didn't have that many of them anyway, and I left them to dry, and obviously they got eaten. So I've got literally about. <laughs> eight <laughs> be a bit of an exaggeration yeah. but not very many but it's so satisfying shelling out dried beans and uh so i've been i've been having yes, fun doing that in the spare moment a little tip if you're shelling uh dried beans and you're going to keep them for use i mean to, to eat during the winter before you put them into their final jars put them in the freezer for about a week because in case just in case you've got any nasty little things living in there it will put them to sleep that is a fantastic <laughs> idea um, now, we have got loads more things we could talk about, but uh, but time is of the essence. There's probably a crying baby about to uh, appear. Um, so uh, we I don't know if you have any FloMo to share, but from the long list of things that we haven't managed to fit in, I think the one I would like to mention, which we have mentioned before, but not for a little while, is Clematis redariana or redriana, however you say yes. it. Yes, which um, is such a beautiful, subtle, unusual, classy kind of plant. And uh, and the photo you sent to me is just looking lovely at East Ruston at the moment. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, lots of it has gone over. It's been flowering for such a long time. And there is another clematis. It's a viticella, a dark purple viticella growing through it. Oh. But where the viticellas are flowering, the the um, the other one um, has died. The flowers have died. So I only, I only got the flowers of the cowslip, the, the cowslip-scented uh, clematis, which is lovely. Um, yeah, I think it's, again, you see, this is lateness. Um, it's a vigorous plant. I mean, you could grow this into a tree if you want to. And you could. the great thing is, that if you're growing it in a small garden, you can cut away the whole top of it in the spring and you dispense with it. I mean, cut it up and put it, uh, you know, dispense of it with it however you, you know, get rid of things. Um, you can put it on the compost if you can chop it fine enough, but uh, that's a bit of a problem, a bit of a pain to do that. Um, but it's just one of those things that is so worthwhile having. And, you know, you think, oh, I've got Clematis redriana. Doesn't it look lovely? Just pick some and put it on your breakfast table because the scent from it, it will waft towards you and it's the scent of cowslips almost. It's amazing. You know, lots of things like this. Did you know that nasturtiums are scented? Actually, I've not got down to this one. <laughs> well, there you are, you see. But I remember, see, I went to stay with somebody many, many years ago, and there on the bedside table was a little posy of nasturtiums. And I didn't, I just looked at them and thought, well, that's very thoughtful and very pretty and, you know, nice things um, to do for your guests when they arrive. And uh, I was snuggling down into bed and I thought, what is that smell, that scent? And it was the nasturtiums. I put my nose into them and there you are. The other thing I've been doing this week, I didn't mean to tell you this earlier. You see these? Oh. They are dried rosemary. Oh, um, and I've actually been there. You are, and I've been drying rose petals. There's only one rose in this garden that dries to that shade. Um, if you want to try drying roses, just pick the heads off a full rose just before it's about to drop its petals. Spread them thinly on a tray and put them somewhere warm. I put them near the Arga, so which is always very warm. Um, so they dry for me in in a day and a half. But I mean, you might need to take a week about to to dry them. But experiment with your colours. These roses that I've dried are what you call a good mid pink. It's a Delbard rose, and Delbard was a French breeder. Um, I don't know the name of it, but it's a climbing rose. Um, and but the thing about it is, those petals dry to this wonderful colour. I tried drying the petals on Colombian climber; they just go brown. No good at all. So if you want to make your own potpourri and be frightfully posh, there you are. If you want to be frightfully posh, like Get <laughs> Well, we are packed out with ideas um, and we have basically run clean out of time because the baby's just arrived back from his walk. One thing I must say, because I can't believe it's actually at peak while we are while we're recording a podcast, my Escianthus Black Pagoda managed to sneak some absolutely oh, wonderful... wonderful wonderful flowers and it's it's i need to trim it back and make it less scraggly but they um i suddenly looked and realized these fabulous they were kind of they are lime at the base trumpet lime to yellow to sort of deep mustardy yellow to orange to, to scarlet so absolutely glorious it's um it reminds me of i don't know a fruit pastel lolly or something but but smarter and then <laughs> just glorious glorious plant and i mean i grew it for the leaves because you can see they're very smart but those flowers what a treat yeah. house plant. i don't yeah. have very many flowering house plants so absolutely i, I wanted to share and show show that off before wonderful well done <laughs> didn't didn't do anything to deserve it it's it's had horrible neglect oh, since well the baby was born so i'm glad it's doing it anyway uh thank you alan i think 
over the um, autumn and winter, we should keep reconvening for these sort of star plants at East Ruston because we all need inspiration as we head into the darker months for how to make our gardens beautiful places that we want to spend time in. I think it's also nice to be able to share with people the news and things that we we probably hear that they don't sometimes um, about new new plants, new bulbs. Um, remind me for our next podcast to talk about Hyacinth Gloria Mundi. Right, I'll write a big note. I'll set a reminder in my phone. Um, there is every chance that our next podcast won't be next week. We've had a little bit of lurgy behind the scenes in both camps of uh, of Talking Dirty, which has ground our production wheels slightly to a halt. So fingers crossed, there, there may only be one week off and then we'll get back to it um, now that we're fighting fit again. Uh, colds last a damn long time. Luckily, the baby only had it for a couple of days, but I seem to have had two weeks of snot and sniveling. So <laughs> I'm glad to finally be out of that. Well, I have to say, you look very bonny on it. <laughs> it's amazing what sleep deprivation can do for you. But there's certainly yeah. plenty, plenty more to come on Talking Dirty. Uh, so thank you for joining us for this East Ruston special. And long may these East Ruston specials continue through the darker months. But until next time, happy gardening, everybody. Happy gardening, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.